0: All right, live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is the this is heart of the matter where we try and get people to walk toward the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Um, Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Father, we uh, pause. We thank you for life and all the provision and goodness that you bring, even though we don't typically recognize it on a a continual basis, but uh, I think we're going to be surprised. Be with us, Lord. We're trying to talk to people uh, specifically about your son, about Mormonism, and about all the things that come in between. And we just pray that you'll be with us as we embark on this uh, return approach to the topic. And and we uh, we're grateful for everybody who's participated, and Seth and Wendy getting things going and ready, and Michael and Mary. And we just pray that We'll move forward now, sojourning into this uh, this new or return area. In Jesus' name, amen. I need four weeks of your time. It's going to be kind of a John Dos Pasos stream of consciousness uh, thing. I have some areas I want to cover. And then after that, we'll get into our announcements and talking about other ministries and what they're doing and, uh, and, and uh, et etc. But just tonight and the next three weeks, after that, we're going to have a guest um, who will be on Angela Kelly. She'll be our first guest in September. We're going to do all of September uh, after that with shows. And then on the first weeks of October, Denver Snuffer, he's contacted me. He's going to be on Heart with us. Denver is a major mover in uh, providing a religious setting for people who have left Mormonism. And we're going to talk to him at length. That will be in the month of October. But for these first... Four weeks, including tonight. Let me just talk to you. We want to take phone calls. I want to have a face-to-face conversation with LDS, non-LDS, Christian, whatever you are. We're trying to get that back. I don't know that we'll be able to get it back like we had on live television because it was so popular at that time and seen by so many people. But we want to do live call-ins. And in fact, we have three cameras set up here. Seth, over here we have camera one. Straight ahead, we have camera two, and this is our telephone camera. When you call in, we'll hit you and you and I will talk. So our phone number is 801-590-8413. And if you're out there, no matter where you are, and uh, you wanna give us a call, we're gonna have a, a few minutes of, of, of uh, topic right now, and then we'll open up for phone calls. If there are none, we'll cut the show off, but just let, get the word out. Talk to people, let them know. They're taking phone calls. If you have a question or a comment or a disagreement or you want some clarification on something, now's the time. So uh, 801-590-8413. I've been seeking for truth since I was a kid and uh, I had thoughts and inklings and premonitions about the importance of love and God and uh, kindness from a very young age. And I don't think I'm unique in that. Many people are probably that way but they were typically overrun by the institutions that I was involved in because of my parents. Um, I had rather liberal, beautiful, kind of flowery views of people and love and acceptance in God. And I was kind of brought in by Boy Scouts and, and church leaders and sports teams and school groups, all telling me, no, you gotta think this way. No, you need to treat people who are that way, this way all kind of coaching me throughout the years, and, and, and I was, I guess, weak of character because I just thought, well, they know better than I do, and so I'll just follow along and, uh, it, and uh, join in with groupthink, so to speak. I grew up in an era, interestingly enough, where black people were not only referred to by several names that we don't use today, but so were Hispanics, and so were Asians, Really anybody, anybody, uh, even Pollocks. We call them Pollocks. There was just no political correctness when it came to casting dispersions on people who were not like uh, us. Mine was a time when it was completely normal, completely accepted to call a homosexual a fag and to call a lesbian a dyke and to call a disabled person a gimp or a retard. There was not even a blink Growing up in having conversations like that. What amazes me most is that while I, an individual kid who was, you know, kind of just, i was just a regular kid, had ideas that I wanted to be kinder to people and I wanted to be nicer to people. um, The religion that my parents introduced our family to and embraced who promoted itself as the only true church on the face of the earth, its leaders pretty much encouraged the rhetoric I just explained. I mean, they in in quiet quorums and priesthood gatherings or outings with the guys, uh, that kind of talk was kind of normative with the leaders of the only true church on the face of the earth. Uh, Attitudes which are so offensive in, in our world today in time their promotion of of kind of what we would call hate speech it took root i just thought of it as funny sometimes i still do because i came from that and you got, we got to be honest with each other you start to get old like me that generation we cut our teeth on that stuff and so it's not as offensive to us we don't mean it as personal as it was so but by the time i was a teenager i fully embraced uh, being misogynistic for sure I remember telling my mom a joke once I heard uh, 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 How are women in football The same uh, Both are soft to the touch and made to kick around and, uh, and She did not appreciate that joke But it was just a common joke That was going around with my friends At, at that time But I was mis- misogynistic and, and narcissistic And racist And, and a homophobic uh, uh, Jerk And that was after I served a a mission for the only true church on the face of the earth. Truly, how do you come out of the only true church on the face of the earth and maintain these attitudes and these things which back then were completely embraced? Looking back, however, I can see the winds and waves of change were coming uh, over me individually. I didn't see them in public until maybe 10 years ago. But over me personally, they were coming and some of them would arrive and they would change me and I would I would never go back on what the change was. For instance, when I came to know the Lord, I never went back to uh, some things uh, because of that change. But other things took time and truth and my ability to receive it sort of came in in waves and I learned something and then I thought about it and it didn't take and then another wave would come through uh, all part of the same storm. Having three older siblings, many of you know, having watched a show, of hundreds of shows, that I cut my teeth on music. I have an older sister, an older brother, another older sister, and then uh, myself. And uh, so all types and styles of music. But around 1977, I became a, a fan of a type of music that touched my soul. Even though I knew all the other stuff from my siblings, I really, really embraced punk. And... Uh, along with my best friend, Steve, who was my next door neighbor, a member of the church and my age, he's now a LDS stake president in Los Angeles. Uh, We discovered the Sex Pistols right when they came out. I don't know how, I think it was from a radio station. And we dove headlong into the garage sound, which was raw. And what we felt was an honest portrayal of music compared to uh, sounds of corporate rock and disco, which were popular at the time, and prefabricated and sanitized presentations of truth that the Mormon church would would give us, you know? These packaged presentations of music, oboe music and lighting and everything. The punk scene was just in the face of that, and I just resonated to that, uh, perhaps because I was frustrated. What I mean to say is that in very short, Order. I learned to trust those expressions from people who were amoral, you know, Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious, but I learned to trust their view of the world more than I did the ersatz view of my parents or my priesthood leaders who I knew were feeding me a line of bull in many ways. And it just, it never sat right. And so I trusted those who probably shouldn't have been trusted but at least seemed to me to be more realistic. On one particular weekend, Steve and I learned that the Sex Pistols, um, are, that was our first exposure to punk and our first album. We shared it back and forth between our houses, uh, nevermind the Bullocks, that they were gonna be on Saturday Night Live. And like many people back then, and it may be today, we were waiting day by day through the weekday for Saturday to come and for us to hear live from New York. It's Saturday night because we heard the pistols were gonna be on the show and we couldn't believe here in America we were gonna be able to see them firsthand. And we were disappointed though when they were not announced as the group to play that night. Instead, some dude whose name was Elvis Costello, he, uh, who we knew nothing about, he was gonna replace them. And so we were seeking for more authentic expressions through music and we decided Hey, I'm gonna, are you gonna watch? I'm gonna watch, and I think we decided that by telephone. He was in his respective den, and I was in my parents' den, just 200 feet away, uh, and we decided, yeah, I'm gonna watch. Elvis Costello took the stage that night. He looked cool enough, uh, and he, his band launched into a song. It seemed original, and it seemed like he was uh, honest, and then all of a sudden, Elvis Costello, like a complete maniac, a complete spastic this this was not choreographed he goes his hands were all twisted stop 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 he turns around he goes and he says I'm sorry he turns back around to the audience I'm sorry uh, we can't do this song this doesn't fit it's not gonna work and he says to his band uh, something He says radio radio and they turn back and they play a song called radio radio so um, I suppose it was my longing to see somebody in my life, maybe my mom, maybe my dad, like a spaz, say, stop, 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 we're not going to do this this way anymore, or a priesthood leader say, okay, I can't teach this anymore, this Joseph Smith story doesn't make sense. But no one was doing that with anything during that time. Except guys like Elvis Costello. I was mesmerized by this bespeckled, wiry little Englishman who freaked out on live TV and changed direction. So what was this spectacle? I was tempted to call Steve next door, but it was getting late. And uh, uh, he. so I just watched him angrily belt out this song called Radio Radio. I mean, he was angry when he was singing it in the, in the microphone. And it was, at, it was as if he was in defiance of a totalitarian power. Like he was in communist Russia and what he was singing was against the man completely when he did it. So I didn't know how to react or where to put my hands. I remember I didn't know where to put my hands. And I was looking around my empty den of my parents, hoping to tell somebody I don't understand what's going on. Of course, no one was there. By the time the song ended, which I later learned is a song that's an indictment about the power of the airwaves and how they control information and the, and the music that people hear, I knew a couple of things. I knew that I wanted what Elvis Costello had. I personally wanted that thing. That passion, that devotion to truth, that willingness to change course, And I didn't even know what it meant by him chasing course. I just knew I wanted that willingness. And I knew that Elvis Costello, more than my young men's advisor, more than my bishop, more than my own parents could be trusted to do what was best for me given what he was over, music and an honest representation of that. I could trust him more than all those other people who I know had my best interest at heart, but were not willing to give me the truth, not willing to change direction when in their hearts I'm sure they had questions. This was my Montgomery pop festival. This was my Woodstock. This was my personal Tiananmen Square. This was my vicariously coming forward as a teenager and saying, yeah, I... We can be honest about things in our lives. And it was a shift uh, that, that started to take hold in the way I thought. The next week rolled around and we went to school and I had two friends who were females that went to our high school and they were into music heavily and they seemed to know everything and they had the inside scoop. Apparently, Elvis had replaced the Sex Pistols who couldn't come on and he was told specifically, we want you to play this song and Lorne Michaels and NBC said, and we do not want you to play Radio Radio, no matter what you do. Do not play that song. Well, Saturday Night Live is a live studio audience, and Elvis Costello started to do what they wanted, and he had a change of mind. He decided he's going to sing something that had teeth, a song about the oppressive nature and the control radio has over its listeners, never giving them some of the best music that's out there. Elvis would pay the price for this disobedience. He wouldn't be invited back to SNL because of a personal grudge between he and Lorne Michaels for 12 years. But uh, he gained the trust of at least one Southern California idiot as I watched him do something that he knew was right but wasn't and was going to pay the price for doing it. Uh, Several weeks later, I heard a knock at my door and I went there and I found sitting there rolled up, actually it wasn't rolled up, it was just like in a clump, a a silk-screened t-shirt of Elvis Costello and the attractions made by my music girlfriend aficionados. And uh, what amazed me is that these two girls gave me a, a gift of something they knew that meant something to me out of the love of their heart. They weren't LDS. They weren't believers. They're still not. They, they had no uh, tie to God, so to speak, but they showed me a kindness. I'll never forget that. I wore that shirt to thre- uh, threads, and as I continued to search for unvarnished truth in music and art, and ultimately that led to a search in spiritual things, Nearly 20 years later, after a full-time mission and marrying Mary in the LDS temple, and while still outwardly active in the LDS church and on the stake high council and having served in a bishopric, I had spent a good 17 of those years right after we got married immersing myself in seeking for truth. And I was invited to go to Sri Lanka for a month or so, and develop a line of clothing from warehouses full of bolts of fabric from the largest cutter and sewer of fabric in Southeast Asia. His name was Kumar Deapura. he died in 2014. I was supposed to go over and live with him, which I did do. And I was not a traveler then, I'm not a traveler now, I never, had never been outside the United States except for a couple trips to Tijuana and, and, and one trip to Edmonton Alberta Canada with a swim team in college so traveling to a foreign third world country was going to be a new experience and after all the shots and paperwork I went and endured the 21 hour flight left my wife and my two young daughters and actually lived with Kumar and embarked on that job remembering remember though now I had since returning from the LDS mission been immersed in finding truth and Ever since SNL, I was seeking to try to be more authentic, uh, even though it was a struggle for me. And uh, for more than a decade, I spent searching through film and and art, of course. And then I branched out into literature. And then I branched out into philosophy. And you know this from the, the stories from the shows years ago. And I really got into Marxism for quite a while and studied all of that and socialism. And in time, I wound up using substances and and involving myself in extramarital affairs as a means to sort of ease my troubled mind while sitting on the stake high council and being called to positions. Uh, It really messed up in my head uh, inwardly and and becoming worse and worse as time went on. Nothing I attempted was breaking through authentically. Nothing was lasting. Nothing could withstand scrutiny not Marxism, none of this junk I had, I had looked to, not substances, including the proclamations the LDS Church made of being the only true church on the face of the earth. They fell apart a decade and a half earlier. They were gone when held up to scrutiny. Sometime around 1 a.m. Sri Lanka time, I landed there in the Bandaneria Ikara. I think that's what they call it, airport. And uh, I had taken a sleeping pill and a shot of champagne they offered on the flight as a means to dull my senses. And I literally stumbled off that plane in a daze. And I dreamily aimed, ambled toward whether the crowd was going to get out of this airport and to be picked up by somebody. And though it was early in the morning, the air was hot and it didn't smell so great. And I found my way to the exit of the terminal and... I was absolutely stunned by the sight before me. As I came out of the terminal, there was a drive, a street, and across the way, all the way, as far as I could see this way, and as far as I could see that way, was a wrought iron gate, wrought iron fence. And it was probably 10 to 12 feet high, and it had bars all the way along, and there were thousands of Sri Lankans, all ages, every, from young to old, grandparents, everybody, arms sticking through, screaming for help, screaming for food, screaming for attention, asking for money. It blew my mind. It was one in the morning, and they were out there in the thousands, hoping that some traveler might walk across that street And hand one of them a dollar. I I could not believe what I saw. Their hands were twisting, all of them, and the screams and cries. It was something that Marx never addressed it. Never. It was something that Victor Hugo didn't write about. It was something they never, ever taught in a priesthood lesson in the plan of salvation and God's purpose here on this earth. We didn't get any of that. It wasn't something that mom and dad talked about in Huntington Beach. And all of the hate and rancor and animus toward an individual and their life choices, their race, their gender, their sexuality became a non-event in the face of that fence that almost seemed to be alive itself. What did any of the other prejudices matter when there are people who are willing to be out at one in the morning begging for some sort of money, some amount? The scene was so raw, it, it changed me. It literally changed something in me. When I returned from Sri Lanka, my older brother who's passed away, he said, you changed there. Something changed in you. And it did. It had changed. It was subtle, and it was moving me toward where I would ultimately land, but there was a change that occurred, and it occurred that moment when I saw what I saw. Out of the blue and in complete contradistinction to what I was looking at at that fence, I hear a, a car horn honking, and a pitch black, perfectly appointed Jaguar pulls in. Out from the driver's seat comes a man in a, in a purple turban. He's wearing a long white robe, and he has a fully automatic machine gun in his left hand. He's the driver. He gets out. He comes around. He opens my door, and he beckons me to get in. I get in. He shuts the door, and it ar- almost drowns out the screams and cries from everybody over there. And we begin to drive away, and the most luxurious vehicle I had ever been in in my life. And the driver got in, and without a word, we leave the masses, we leave the fence, we leave the lights of the airport, and we go into the, this third world community of people wandering through the streets, and dogs everywhere, and poverty everywhere, and we entered into the night of the surrounding country. And immediately, I was overcome with feelings of shame that were matched by feelings of superiority I was ashamed at what I had just witnessed but I felt so comfortable and superior in the back of that Jaguar and the surrounding poverty was sort of cut in half and and blighted by the automobile a British automobile and the leather and my sitting in it and it was truly a moment of opposites where I was weighing out in the back of that car who I was, what I was about, what I was going to do with my life, and, and how I was going to see these things that were in front of me for the first time. Remember, I had been searching for at least 10 years for authentic expression to, to become more like an Elvis Costello on the screen. I had been searching to find truth in my religion. Searching to find truth in my marriage, in my own life, in having children, in being a man, in working in a capitalistic world. Do I build my empire upon sand or do I build it upon clouds? What am I doing? So all of that with background. I'm in the back of this car and I'm facing this, this moment of these two polarized extremes. And suddenly the driver says, uh, as if it's a question. No, actually as, actually, as if it's a statement. Music. He just says music and he reaches up and he turns the stereo on and the car fills with the sounds of an Elvis Costello song and it was Nick Lowe's song who wrote it what's so funny about peace love and understanding and I was back in my den as a teenager And I was listening to a guy I watched firsthand on live television defy the system and the powers that be and express himself to the detriment of his career. And I listened as those words rang out in that car, as I walked through this wicked world, searching for light in the darkness of insanity. I asked myself, is all hope lost? Is there only pain And hatred and misery and each time I feel like this inside there's just one thing I want to know what's so funny about peace love and understanding and he repeats what's so funny about peace love and understanding and as I walk through these troubled times my spirit gets so downhearted sometimes So where are the strong? And who are the trusted? And where is that harmony, that sweet harmony? Because each time I feel it slipping away, it just makes me want to cry. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? It was a clarion call to my heart after all the seeking, all the sinning, all the excuses, all the searching, that said this world, my world, my time on it, my family, my friends, my children, my community, the people at my church, the LDS church, they need someone strong who can be trusted. They need someone who will unabashedly pursue and deliver the unvarnished truth of things without a care for repercussions. And I decided to become that guy. The song and the setting was the final surge in a long series of life-changing waves in my life as it washed over me, created by my own tears in the back of that car. A wave of shame, but a wave of determination. It was a moment that would ultimately serve to help me several years later when I would be in another car, my own, in Southern California And I learned that I absolutely needed a savior, the most authentic savior to ever exist anywhere to come into my life and change my heart. These things were a precursor to that event. And then I have been able to say to myself, thinking about Elvis Costello's song, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Nothing, Elvis Costello. There's nothing funny about it. Welcome to Heart of the Matter Redux. Thank you, Taryn for that awesome song which they allowed us to use for our introduction. Listen, we are going to... This is a live call-in show and we hope that you will participate in calling in with your comments or questions about anything you want, but in particular about Mormonism, which we're going to get in more depth in about three weeks and begin to talk about it at length, in particular present-day Mormonism as we've covered the history and the doctrines established of old many times over in years past. But... Uh, it took a couple of years before those seeds sown in my heart, uh, in that experience in Sri Lanka, to germinate and take root. But as most of you know, one afternoon in 1997, I was introduced to that character who's in those pictures in the introduction, Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Lord and Savior and King. And he gave me a new heart. And along with that new heart, he allowed the desires of my carnal heart to be honest and try to do things with integrity right or wrong you know i'm gonna sing off key sometimes and i'm gonna do the wrong thing sometimes but i mean my stuff authentically he gave me the power to step in and do it it's really interesting but i decided to write a book years ago and it's called born again mormon and the byline of that book is um is Moving toward Christian authenticity. Moving toward Christian authenticity. Um, The principal point of the book is, if you're a Mormon, okay. Go ahead. If you need to be, fine. And we've taken this approach the whole time. But do you know Jesus? Have you walked toward his love? Can you call him truly Your Lord, your Savior, your King in your life, the pilot of your soul, as it were, by and through the Holy Spirit, through the will of God. Have you had that thing happen in you that not only emancipates you from the uh, bondage in this world, but gives you courage to move forward and do things you wouldn't otherwise do? And and are you ready to really live in peace? If you have, and to freely understand the living God, uh, to me, my LDS friends uh, were no different than those thousands of Sri Lankans reaching through the bars. Uh, they they were trying to reach the true and living God through their actions. They're good people who want to do right and do well. I mean, they're so devoted to that kind of thing. They go to a temple and spend an hour and a half, 45 minutes or two hours doing rites and rituals and paying 10% of their income and wearing garments every day of their life and going to church all the time and performing all sorts of home teachings and visiting teachings they're trying desperately for to get to something and and all they're met with is either you're going to hell or you have the truth come away from the fence and just live your life of uh of of bondage have you been born from above has jesus really become the lord of your life that's the question we have for mormons and so That's all I really cared about then. That's all I really care about now for anybody. I honestly don't give a crap if you want to be a Mormon. I don't know why you would if you have Jesus, but if you do, go ahead. You want to be a Catholic? You want to be a Calvinist? Go ahead. And the reason I say that is because we've learned that those approaches don't really matter when it comes to people who truly have Jesus in their life. And let me explain that. The, title, the subtitle of the book is Moving Toward Christian Authenticity. Now I want to ask you a rhetorical question. What is Christian authenticity? What is it that makes a person authentically a Christian? Authentically a Christian. And if you really think about it, I mean, I didn't write a book called Born Again Mormon, Moving Away from Christian Authenticity. It's moving toward what does it really look like in other people what does christian authenticity look like and i would say at least in my world from the way i see it christian authenticity are people who love people who are self-effacing who are humble who are kind who are patient They're long-suffering. They defer their needs, typically, to the needs of others who have greater needs. They are without guile. They're willing to forgive. They have a quick laugh. They don't take themselves too seriously. They're giving. They're peacemaking. All of those things, you show me anybody like that, and I'll show you an authentic Christian. And the fascinating thing about that, if you agree with me, is that we find people like that in every walk of life. We find people like that who are Mormon. I know them. They are authentically Christian by and through those traits. Remember, Jesus said, it's by this, their love, that you will know that they're my disciples. It's become kind of a cliche now, but it's not by their doctrine. It isn't by their practice. It's not by the things that put them in bondage. There are Calvinists who are authentically Christian. There are Arminius, there are Muslims, there are Hindus. They just don't know it's Jesus that's doing it to them. We're kidding ourselves if we keep playing this game of what makes a Christian is what they think and practice and believe. That is not what makes them. What makes them are those authentic characteristics that abide in them and they can't help it. They're not feigning. They're really good neighbors. They're really actually good friends. We have allowed religionists and people who perpetrate religion to make us hate good people who don't agree with our opinions on doctrine we've allowed ourselves to become that i'll never do that i am never doing that again in my life you show me somebody who's a mormon goes to the temple wants to do all that junk and i will call it junk but you show me someone who does that but they love they are my brother they're my sister the problem is is that these other things that come along with religion the temple and the tithing and the holiness and the dress and the Sabbath days and the other things that religion put on people, they typically serve to make those people unloving. They make them jerks, doctrine and divides and divisions, and they they give them an us versus them mentality. And they typically don't serve to help create a loving individual. So when we find somebody who's a Catholic who is truly exhibiting the Christian authenticity that I was talking about, do we really care that they're a Catholic? I don't. I don't think God does. Do you? You find a Mormon person, you've known your whole life, who's a humble, patient, kind, long-suffering, good, loyal to God, loyal to Jesus person? You wanna jump on a bandwagon that says they're going to hell and God never knew them? It can't be that, that can't be what the show is about. So I just wanted to use tonight to to help you see that Heart of the Matter Redux, it, it, it accepts any individual who loves as a brother and sister in Christ. I don't care what their professions are, that's between God and them. If they love, they have something that most of the world does not. So we're not going to focus on picking on that. But what we are going to do is talk about helping people who want to love better but can't. And help them see why that's so difficult to do as a Latter-day Saint. Or as one of these other things if it happens to come up. We want to talk to you authentically. If you're a Mormon and you don't like what I have to say, call and I'll try to reason through with you if you don't like our former shows, if you have a comment, if you want to call and say that you're a believer, let's engage in conversation. We're going to have guests. We're going to have other ministries and the people who run those come up. We're going to try to make the give and take of the Mormon Christian thing better, not worse, not worse. It has been bad enough for too long. And I blame those who have held... Doctrine as sacrosanct and held that as more important than love. Our phone number is 801 590 8413. 801 590 8413. You can watch us on YouTube. You can check us out in any of those other ways. I guess we have some calls and I'm going to go to line one. Joan, you're on Heart of the Matter.
1: Hi, Sean. Hey,
0: you have to turn down your. Computer.
1: Just did. <laughs> hey, love the, love the intro. It was awesome. And it just got my brain just churning and thinking and remembering and um, question slash comment because I've now, so I'm coming up on three years departure from the church. Um, and in all that time, short little amount of time you obviously think about all the things that were there in in your former belief system thinking about those things that God was placing in front of you to kind of bring you to him
0: right
2: is that uh,
1: how I mean how you're describing it do you now recall those moments not just the Sri Lanka Airport, not the car at the side of the road, but so many other elements of things of God speaking to you going, "I want you to see me, I want you to see what i 'm trying to say
0: I do. I recall many of them often, and I'm amazed at what he was doing the whole time
1: yeah, yeah, and you know, and that's where I have come to is like all these things that as a missionary as even even moments in the temple and and other things that I totally... Like, I knew at the time, they were they were complete things, completely separate from the church yeah. or a belief system or a construct. It was all things that God was speaking directly to my heart, and I was the one trying to translate them into another language.
0: Yeah. Isn't that amazing, Joan? Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I think he's doing that with everything. everybody. I think he's doing that with all of us till we get to the the throne of God, I think everything will fall off. All of the stuff we, yeah. we cling to will fall off. And we'll look back on our life and say, you really had me the whole time.
1: Well, and, and your, your example of Elvis Costello and people who speak truth from the heart. Yeah. And, and, and they don't care if people are going to hate them or uh, scourge them or belittle them because when you're speaking authentically from the heart, it, it truly is the most, freeing, liberating, loving thing you can possibly do for anybody else in the world sitting there in front of you, just loving authentically, speaking authentically.
0: Amen, sister. Love it. Thanks so much, Joan. We got a few other calls. Okay. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, I just want to tell you guys something. Uh, Last week, you know, we've had a number of guests on the show. We've had atheists. We've had uh, humanists. We've had all sorts of guests of late. And last week, uh, Earl Erskine and Danny Larson and myself, Earl from Ex-Mormon Files and Danny from uh, Talking to Mormons. And then, of course, myself, we went to Sunstone. We, we leased a table space and we had our stuff. And um, I want you to know from my perspective, and I'm sure Danny and Earl's, that our love toward other peoples and other people groups is sincere. Uh, whether they change over or not I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn for anybody but whether they turn and come to Christ and, and his love or not is, is, is not uh, does not affect the love that I have and I'm sure they have for these people but um, it is such a, it's, such a, it's such a loss we have the Sunstone director here on the show and she's very nice but all around we have tables of transhumanism this and and LGBTQ that and people who were selling seer stones so people could take them home and see something with them. There were a hundred different religions being passed around there. I never saw Jesus. I didn't see Jesus anywhere. And uh, it was heartbreaking to see that the product of Mormonism uh, is what it's produced in the lives of so many people in this state and other, way, and other places. So it's really remarkable when people come to understand and receive Christ for who he is and stay abiding in the vine. But it is more uh, common for people to walk off from the LDS church into some other venue. That is just so sad for me to see. And I'll say it without embarrassment. I mean, I do not find, I love John Dillon. I do not find his humanism. Uh, uh, worthwhile. I think it could be a step for some people, but I think it is stopping short of what people could truly have. I don't find uh, making one's life focused on a cause uh, other than Christ to be worthwhile in the eternal scheme of things. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not afraid to say it. I love every one of those people. Nevertheless, I think they're being sold short of what that could be, and I think that the Mormon Church is selling them short and not giving them what they could have now. So if if, uh, President Nelson has anything of character, and if he's going to do any good, he can start by helping people understand that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, and nothing else. But we'll get back to more of that later. We're going to Stanley on line three. Stanley, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, Yes. Hi.
3: Uh, yeah, I just. Is it?
0: You need to turn your. It, uh, uh, you need to turn your uh, computer down, Stanley.
3: I did. I just did right now.
0: Okay, brother. Think,
3: uh, all right. Okay. Uh, is this Sean? Yeah. Uh, hi, Sean. Just wanted to let you know that um, I went to the Mormon Church for about a, about a couple of years, and I uh, had a bad experience because uh, I wouldn't go on a mission, so I ended up getting kind of. Uh, you know, they call it cultural, you know, I was kind of chased out of the church. And then uh, I, I did my own research, went to the library, found a book called uh, Mormon Corporate Empire, written in 1985. I talked to some other people who also had negative experiences. And then I also found your podcast um, when you were um, uh, doing uh of the Matter. And all of that combined and going on Facebook and finding other community people, of helped me work through what uh, having the negative experiences with this cult and uh, found Jesus. And so I'm a believer, I believe that I am saved and I'm just glad, grateful for what you've done and the other people like Sam Young and others have helped others try to find their way away from the cult.
0: Praise God, Stan, that's really great to hear. What state do you live in?
3: California.
0: Let me ask you something, Stanley, it's really difficult, especially here in Utah, for people to leave Mormonism but you had joined it as a convert at what age? I
3: was 28.
0: Okay. so you And did you have any religious training under your feet before you uh, looked into Mormonism?
3: Yes, I was raised Jehovah Witness.
0: Oh, wow. So you've been through it, haven't you?
3: Yeah. I mean, at first I just thought it was just because being young, but then I, when I tried to join in the later years of adulthood and I kind of saw the games that they were playing and I didn't... I just thought, well, I'm an adult. I can make up my mind. And that's when the conflict started with the LDS church.
0: Wow. Is there, uh, is there any advice? Oh, one, one quick question about Jehovah's Witness. Where, yeah. Where you are right now, and I'm just curious of your opinion of this. Do you <clears throat> believe that there are any people who practice Jehovah's Witnessism that are Christ's?
3: Um. Yes, there are. My, my my mother. When my mother got into it, she she ran into a a witness by the, by the name of Terry, and she was always more like closer to Christ than I would say all the other Jehovah Witnesses I've ever met because Jehovah Witnesses tend to be more focused on I guess the legalism aspects. You have to be out there proselytizing, handing out the magazines. That's how they make their money. Yeah. Uh, you have to vol. They try to volunteer to build the Kingdom Hall. So it's all about uh, being active and getting those magazines out there, and you have to be very like um, very active, similar to the Mormon Church. It's like every day you got to do something Jehovah's Witness related.
0: Stanley, uh, can you tell our audience who's listening uh, what is do you believe is the key to uh, coming out of Jehovah's Witness and uh, Mormonism? And now you are a man who loves the Lord, and you're clinging with that relationship directly what do you think's key
3: um well uh, i would say forgiveness and also the well the first thing the very first thing is you uh you say the um the savior's uh, prayer of i believe that you have died for my sins and that um you know that you believe that he, i kind of forget how it goes cuz i'm on the spot here but basically
0: sinner's prayer
3: believing that he that he is your savior and that it's not about legalism, it's not about status or things like that.
0: Yeah. Stanley, really appreciate your call. You've been a help to other people. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, God bless. Bye. We're gonna go to Alicia from Utah. Alicia, you're on the Matter. Hi. Alicia, talk loud.
2: All right, I'll try. Uh, Hey, Sean.
0: Hi, Alicia.
2: Hi. Hey, a little while, I had I had a, I had a gal that, I'm sorry, I'm not talking loud enough.
0: You're talking loud enough.
2: Okay. Well, I had a gal come over to visit that I didn't know that my husband got the neighborhood people come over. Well, anyway, this gal came and sat with me. I saw that she had her knee replaced or something go, oh, you got battle scars too. She goes, yeah. I go, um, she wanted me out to pay for you. And she, you know, she, it's funny cause I because mean, I've see this, I've seen this look so many times. She goes, I'm LDS. <laughs> I'm LDS. And she really, she, she shined when she said She just loved that. She's so proud of that. It was funny. Oh, it's not, it wasn't funny, but... You know what I mean? I do. Uh, I recognize it. I'm like, well, that's sad. You know, I'm looking. At, I look at her like, that's sad.
0: Did you preach? Did <laughs> you? To her. Did, you people, uh, did you of all people? Did you of all people preach Jesus to her?
2: Oh hell heaven, no. heavens, no! You know, I just loved on her. I just loved on her. I just let her talk and good, love on her.
0: Good girl, Alicia. We've been keeping you in our prayers. We know you've been You're
2: sick. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, love you. <laughs> I love you too. Bye-bye. I had to get rid of the LDS spread. Another LDS spread I got. I had to get rid of. I can't hear you.
0: I can't hear you either.
2: Uh (laughs) you saying bye-bye?
0: Love you. Bye. Hey, listen, join us next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about some concepts and ideas as we work toward uh, the month of September. And we'll open it up. But... uh, we want you to help carry the show Would you have thoughts and ideas uh, about Mormonism and religion, about Jesus. We want to encourage a positive experience and uh, lift people up toward him, not just break down, break down, break down. Anyone can do it. And all it leads to is people, yeah, walking out of the church, but they don't necessarily walk toward his love, which is really important. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.